right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Nick Springer here. Hey. Nick is on one today. Nick what? is feeling it. I think in a good way, in a good way. You're fired up. That's true. No, I'm, I am you know, pumped. Makes I'm for dead. good radio, so yeah, it's a I'm good dead. thing. It is a good thing. Uh, we'll get into why here in a second, but you, you know, you can probably guess why. <laughs> it has to do with the KU Dude, women's team not making the NCAA news. tournament. The Chiefs signed an offensive tackle. Yeah, they did. Huge news. And it's not Orlando Brown. That sucks, Orlando Brown. We'll get Brown. into that a little bit later. KU does not get the Midwest. Before we get into that. University of Kansas Jayhawks are the Big 12 regular season champions. They're a one seed, and Homefield Apparel is celebrating with all new apparel for KU alumni and fans of all ages. Head to homefieldapparel.com or the Homefield Apparel app to purchase these limited edition Kansas apparel offerings, including new t shirts, ringers, crewnecks, hoodies, joggers, and more. It's super comfy gear. They've got awesome designs and. They support the show. They they have for the past couple of years. There are a lot of other apparel companies in the area that don't support us here locally, which we really appreciate from Home Field Apparel. And like I said, I, I legitimately do like their gear. I wear it. I have a bunch of it uh, that I that I have all the time, even before they became a, a sponsor of the show. Yep. You can get 15% off with code ROCKCHALK23. That's capital R, capital C. Be looking fresh for the NCAA tournament. You know, it's probably going to be a little chilly in Des Moines. You might need a uh, Home Field Apparel sweater. Or, or um, it's going to be chilly in Lawrence if you're in Lawrence. Yeah, exactly. There you go. I don't know if they make to Vegas. Probably be nice out there. Nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, they got shirt. They got t-shirts though. Yeah. You know? Boom. There you go. Get your t-shirt. Boom. When it's warmer, you know, you're you're not in t-shirt weather right now, but you are if they go to Vegas. Uh these items are available for a limited time only and are going to sell out. Once again, that's 15% off with code ROCKCHALK23. Spoil yourself. It's the NCAA tournament. So KU does not get the Midwest. That was the big storyline. And we'll get into the recap of the Big 12 tournament, uh, the last two games, the Iowa State and Texas game in, in our next segment. Uh, this stuff probably a little bit more pertinent. After they, you know, going into Saturday, I guess, there was Joe Lenardi and several other bracketologists were saying KU has clinched the number one overall seed. Yes. And then they lost. And it's not just that they lost. They lost by a big amount. And people started questioning, man, maybe Alabama will jump them. But still, most people thought that, well, they'll still be ahead of Houston, though. But let's wait and see what happens. Because then the Houston tournament. lost. Houston lost. And it's not like Houston lost a four-point game. Houston lost They were by, down 20 in yeah, the first were, half. Yeah, it was, it was, what, like 17 points at halftime or something like that? Yeah. Um, the now, game, they came back and made yeah. it a closer game. but Well, and the game was like 15 points with like three minutes left. They ended up losing by 10. But losing by 10 to Houston, or I'm sorry, losing by 10 to Memphis, to me is worse than losing by 20 to Texas. I you mean, would think. Memphis is an eight seed, Texas two. Nonetheless. You would think. So then we go into the day. There's not a lot of logic that went yeah. into the weekend. So then it's like, okay, well, Houston lost big. Then the Kansas is for sure going to be ahead of Houston at this point. But they did not. 
Houston got the second overall one seed, and the importance there is that Houston gets Kansas City. Kansas does not. Now, I know there will be certain fans that will point out, well, there was the Elite Eight in 2017. You lost to Oregon. We just yeah. saw in the Sprint Center in the Big 12 tournament. That didn't go well in the they championship the game. Mobile Center, man. Come on. To me, this is... Le- Dude, I, I, Sprint so, is going to sue you. Or T-Mobile is going to sue you. <laughs> don't, T-Mobile is going to be like, hey. No, I don't what? think it will. Didn't T-Mobile buy Sprint? So technically... Are they all the same thing now? I think they're all the same thing. Oh. You know? Is that why it's called T-Mobile Center now? I think I could be wrong on oh. that. I don't know. Well, there's well, they would still be mad at you, I would think. Yeah, probably for branding purposes. I'm not doing it on purpose. It's just you know, well, what you if grow they, up your whole what life. What if something. they what if they referenced our show and they called it I don't know something? But like, we didn't change the name of our show. It's different if you change it. You know, what if all of a sudden someday <laughs> some guy was like, "Hey, from now on, ice cream is called Spadoodles." Would you call it Spadoodles, or would sometimes ice cream slip out? Nonetheless. <laughs> well, Spadoodles is so ridiculous that I would have to call it Spadoodles. Yeah, that's fair. So, I mean, you go into the day, and it's it was just such a big surprise. And the bigger deal to me isn't necessarily the arena they're playing in or that they're going to be close to home. I don't think that's a huge deal. The bigger deal to me is that the West they just ended up being every absolutely West loaded. team, yes. also the West. Yes, they did. What and is up with that? I think without a doubt what made things more infuriating was the justification from the committee. Oh, dude. Complete joke. I mean, just utter buffoonery. Total clown show by these idiots. What I don't even know what they're doing. What are we talking about? They're like, oh, here's okay, here's the committee. Oh, here's a bunch of stuff that we're gonna use to to determine who we're gonna seed. Nah, we're just gonna ignore all that. We don't care. <laughs> Houston. Okay, but the worst thing about it, the worst thing about it was to me, it's Chris Reynolds, he comes on and he's like uh, well, Houston had 15 wins in quad one and quad two, and Kansas only had 21. And it's a rah, 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 rah. Okay. What is the point of the net rankings and quad wins if you're just going to combine them together? Yeah. What is the point? Why Why not at that point just make quad one with the set for quad just two make is, them all. Just you know? make it all quad one. Who yeah. cares? It doesn't matter. It, no, I, it, that's, what the, that's what they say. It doesn't it's, matter. It's funny because him combining quad one and quad two still did not end up with more wins than Kansas just had no, in quad one. But it gave Houston 15, which right. is enough for them to be like, ooh, 15, that's kind of a lot. Wow. <laughs> sweet. Okay. Houston, well, sure. Yeah, so Dude. It, we have some audio clips from the interview on Selection Sunday on the CBS uh I guess, desk when, when they were asking him questions. So let, let's get to some of this audio. Uh, the first thing first I, I wanted to share, this doesn't really have a ton to do with the outrage here, but I think it shows you the incompetence of whether it's the committee or just, so Chris Reynolds was the chair of the committee. And I, I'll be honest, I, I listened to this first question and I'm not trying to be like, I don't know. I, I don't want this to come across crass. I'm just saying like, if you are named the chair committee, it is your job you need to, to be, be able the, to, like articulate yes you have to be able to articulate thoughts you have to be able to be the essentially you are the pr puppet for the committee chair you have to be able to which listen i don't envy that job at all no i don't i'm sure it's a kind of a crap job you have to be confident you have to be assertive you have to have good reasoning and you have to be ready for these questions if you're going to be stupid at least be confidently stupid exactly this was the first question and answer and immediately my thought was they chose this guy how did you end up with Bama, Houston, Kansas, Purdue? Well, it was um, an interesting, interesting process, and it took a little while. 
Um, however, what I will say is this. Um, those teams at the top, they perform consistently uh, throughout the year. And so we considered about six or seven teams uh, at the top. But at the end of the day, um, those four teams um, were the teams we selected. Okay, I'm sorry. What? Why, why did you choose these four teams? Well, at the well, end of the day, those, those are the four we selected. That's not four. an answer. What? Why did you eat that for lunch? I was hungry. No, that's not. Why, why did you pick that meal? Why did you go to that rest? What? Okay, so let's let's begin there. That clearly we are off to a bad. Uh, we're, we're off to a very bad foot here. Uh, Seth Davis, who very much disagreed with the idea that KU was not as as many did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Was not the the second. I mean, this isn't just a local thing. To be clear, like most national pundits. In fact, I haven't heard a national pundit that that's gone the other way. Um, <laughs> basically grilled him on it, and uh, here is the question and answer between the two. Disregard Seth Davis not knowing that Kansas City yeah, that is in Missouri, which, honestly, I think it pisses off people from it's- Missouri more than people from Kansas, so it's kind of <laughs> I funny. I think it's funny. Nonetheless. Well, there is a Kansas City in Kansas and Missouri, so it's can- whatever. Anyway, here's the, here's the question and answer. So, Chris, not only as those four number one seeds, but you put the whole field in order, one to 68. So you had Houston as your number two overall, Kansas as your number three overall. I respectfully would have had that order reversed. And this is significant, as you know, because that means Kansas is going to Las Vegas as opposed to Kansas City, which is in the state of Kansas. So uh, can you just break this down? Kansas 17 and one quad one wins. Houston seven and one in quad one. But Kansas had the number one overall, excuse me, seven and two. Uh, Kansas had the number one overall strength of schedule compared to nine to six. They both lost their conference finals. They both had injuries. Kansas didn't have their coach. Why Houston over Kansas? Well, when you look at Houston uh, combined 15 and two in the quad one and two uh, compared to Kansas 21 and seven in the quad one and two and Houston, they were competitive in all their games that they lost, except for today. And we understand today they were out their best player. And so um, for that reason, uh, we kept Houston at number two. (laughs) I was not expecting you to do that. Um, why did Houston get credit for not being without their best player? Kansas did not get credit a, for being without Bill Self and Kevin McCuller. One of top players. Oh, and also their head coach. Okay. What? That, that's kind of interesting. Uh, nonetheless. What? Uh, I I just, again, like, I, I don't understand this whole thing. And um, I continue to be a proponent that the seeding in the NCAA tournament should be about resume. And if it is about resume... There is there is no like no possible way that you can take Houston over Kansas. Dude, again, it just goes back to the committee being like, Oh yeah, here's a bunch of stuff that we're gonna use to calculate how we do seating. Oh, but actually we're just gonna ignore that and just we don't care about that anymore. We're just gonna, you know, that was all made up. Again, here here's the full resume. So Kansas seventeen and seven versus quad one, Houston seven and two, Kansas five and oh versus quad two, Houston eight and oh. Um, yeah, to me, actually, the most egregious part of it is Houston played 17 games, 17 games in quad three and four, yeah. and they had a quad three loss. Yeah, Kansas had 29 and Kansas of them. Kansas played just six games in quad well, three and four. quad one and quad two. Yeah, yeah. And then if you look at, like, if you want to look at me- measures like KPI or strength of record, which are basically metrics, metric sites that take into account your schedule, who you played, how much you controlled the game, how much you won by stuff like that. That basically puts this all together. Kansas was number two in the country in both of those. Houston was fifth and sixth. Like, dude, I just don't understand how we can spend the whole season 
everyone's talking about the net quad wins and how important they are, and then it just it just didn't none of it mattered. No, it, it none really of, didn't. none of it mattered. Uh, I mean, Kansas might as well just. Go play in the Mountain West. No, there's 34 and 0. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Kansas win. I mean, what's the purpose of playing a tough schedule? It was one of the most impressive resumes in, I guess, well, the entire net history, but that, that we've seen really put together, uh, which is, is is very head scratching that they didn't end up rewarding that. And going back to your point earlier, apparently, according to the committee, apparently it's better to lose to Temple at home by three yeah. or four points than it is to lose to Texas by 20. That's the part that really bothers and me. Temple's like 200 in Ken Palm. So I agree, like, if if you were comparing Kansas to Alabama and you said, well, Kansas lost a lot of these games by a big amount, you know, that's fine. But when you're comparing Houston to Kansas, you know why Houston didn't get blown out? Because they played they the 96th strength of schedule. Because it, if you are Houston and the second best team in the AAC is Memphis, who's a, a top 20 team, and there are no other teams in the top 30... You're not going to get blown out. <laughs> You're not. Well, so, like, it, it's easier to get blown out. So that, that part did not make any sense to me at all. I'll be honest. I think Houston is a better team than Kansas. I think Kansas has the better resume, and I would have put Kansas ahead of them because I think that's how the resume goes. But I'll be honest. I, I wouldn't have been... I'm not saying this is just but, because, I, I, once again, I would put the resume ahead when you're seeding. But if they would have just came out and and he would have answered the question and said, why is Houston ahead of Kansas? And just said, we just think Houston is definitively a better basketball team. I, I again, wouldn't have agreed with the logic there in the seating, but I would have been better with that answer than the crap they gave. <laughs> yeah, just... Right? I just don't understand the purpose of, of laying out criteria for how you're going to seed teams to then just ignore it. So then just yes. ignore the criteria that you yourself have claimed that yeah. that's what you're going to use. Well, and okay, remember back like a month ago when they did the NCAA tournament like early release and Kansas was the fourth one seed? And there was some speculation that, oh, but that was because they would have actually been ahead of Purdue and all these things and that uh, the one through three is actually pretty close. I think looking back, they probably had a sizable gap between number one and number two and then Purdue and Kansas. I, I think, uh, honestly, the committee kind of didn't value the Big 12 enough. No, they didn't. Like, think about it. I didn't know if you wanted to get into that or not, but yeah, I mean... No, let's do it. I think the Big 12 got pretty much disrespected yeah. as a whole. Like, clearly, wins and losses was more important to the committee than strength of schedule, strength mm -hmm. of conference. I mean, the only Big 12 team that I think got a pretty... Got, a like, a, a seed better than I was expecting is West Virginia. They got a nine. Yeah. I mean, Baylor, dropped to, a, Baylor dropped to a three, yeah. which is probably pretty reasonable. But Texas Texas won the Big 12, and they got they still got it stuck with a two. I thought Texas should have been... Think about this. So Texas, if you just counted, instead of making the conference tournament like matter more, if you just counted the conference tournament to the regular season, an extension of Big 12 regular season games, both Texas and Kansas would have had the same exact conference record. They'd both yep. be 15 and 6. Texas would have been 2 and 1 against Kansas with two blowout wins over them. I, I thought Texas deserved the the fourth one ahead of Purdue. Yeah, I thought Kansas too. deserved the the second one over Houston just by resume speaking. You like you said could have argued Baylor could have been a two. I was actually fine with them being a yeah, three. Yeah, I was fine with them a three. Um, Iowa State got stuck with a six. TCU got yep. stuck with a six. Yeah, Oklahoma State didn't make the Oklahoma tournament, State didn't make it, they, which they, I think is yeah. probably pretty reasonable. I mean, at some point you do have to draw the line and say, okay, once you have 14, 15 losses, you I don't know, man. I would have put them ahead of like Mississippi State. Probably well, I mean, I actually had this discussion with a friend. It's like Nevada. I don't if know. Oklahoma State and Mississippi State play ten times, Oklahoma State's winning eight times. Well, okay, here's times? for instance, um, Mississippi State, Oklahoma State. If they played Mississippi State on a neutral floor, they'd be a one point favorite. 
if they played Pitt on a neutral floor, they'd be about a four-point favorite. If they played Nevada on a neutral floor, they'd be about a half-point favorite. And then uh, who is the other? Arizona State. If they played Arizona, Arizona State, State on a neutral floor, they'd be about a three-point favorite. And I get it. You don't put teams in based on who's favorite and stuff. It's what you've earned. But, like, that just, I, I don't know, felt kind of disrespectful but for yeah, the Big 12. I, I thought, I, I, I did think that considering the entire last two or three months, literally anybody was saying the Big 12 is the best conference. Yeah. The Big 12 is the best conference maybe in the past 20 years, maybe ever. And the committee largely ignored that, which is, well, I mean, again, I mean, it's it's fine, I guess. Like, if you want to look at just strictly wins and losses, fine, whatever. But, I mean, at some point that has to come into play that you've got teams that are playing significantly tougher schedules mm-hmm. versus – other if, teams. if we look at it in terms of what seeds have you beaten the NCAA tournament, Houston beat a four-seed Virginia, a five-seed St. Mary's, and an eight-seed Memphis. Those are their best wins. Kansas beat a two-seed Texas, a three-seed Baylor, a three-seed Kansas State, a you know the the six seeds, a four-seed Indiana. Like it's just it's not even close. So that was certainly weird. Now the the other part of this that we haven't got into, we have one more audio clip here is the impact of possible injuries and the status of Bill Self affecting the seeding here. This part might be the most ludicrous part of it all. This was a question asked from Jay Wright about how much the the injury stuff mattered, not just for Kansas, but around the country. Here is the answer once again from the committee chair, Chris Reynolds. The injuries on these teams, Marcus Sasser at Houston, you've got a coach, Bill Self. You don't know if he's going to play as you're going through, if he's going to be able to coach as you're going through the process. Jalen Clark at UCLA. How much does that affect seeding as you're talking about this? A great deal. And when you think about, as you mentioned, um, you have Texas, Tennessee, Virginia, UCLA, um, all had player availability issues. And also Coach Self also being out um, certainly is something that uh, the committee talked about um, throughout the course of the year. It certainly played a factor in seeding and selection in addition to Rutgers. So it certainly played a factor in the seeding, which tells me one thing, because Norm Roberts said in the postgame, on Saturday night, and this was reiterated by a Kansas press release on Sunday, that Bill Self will be back next week. That means one of two things. That means one of two things for the NCAA Tournament Committee, because they basically just said right there that it was a factor with the Bill Self stuff. And once again, we go back and, and they said about Houston, well, they were without Marcus Sasser. And now Sasser, I don't even know what his status is going to be for the tournament, but that actually helped Houston. Uh, it didn't help Kansas. It means one of two things. They either A, did not see the news about self being back, which means they didn't do their due diligence, which they're supposed to as the tournament committee, yes. or B, they're basically saying, we don't believe you, KU. <laughs> so think about that. That means they're either ignorant or they're yeah. kind of being jerks, I guess. Yeah, I, I, right. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, listen. At the end of the day, like Las Vegas is fine. I think. I mean, there are no, people I, that, are, I, that are probably happy with Las yeah. Vegas. I mean, whatever. It's, it's fine. nothing wrong with the location. To me, it's the bracket. It's a very difficult bracket. Bracket of death. You only got to play two or three of those teams. But here's my problem with this. So, 
I do tend to agree with you in past years. Like last year, for instance. Last year when the bracket came out, people were like, oh, no, not Auburn as the two with Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith. Like how are they going to counter those big men? And um, I'm trying to remember who the three seed was last year. Um, but we, we took down last year's bracket. We put up a, this year. I know. We, we just put it up. We have the fresh one up there. But you also had Iowa, who was the, uh, I think, the five seed last year. And it was like, oh, no, Iowa's a matchup problem for KU. And then you have Auburn on the other side of the bracket. But it's like, well, you don't know if those teams are going to get there, you know? Or you have the 2018 example where it's like, oh, no, Duke and Michigan stay in the bracket. But it's like, oh, no, you only have to play one of them, max. Wisconsin was the three. Oh, that's right. So that one wasn't as big of a deal. But the point is, this year, it's not that simple. Because it's not just, oh, no, UCLA on the other end of the bracket. It's, oh, no, UCLA, or Gonzaga, or TCU, to where the chances that one of the difficult teams to play, now there's three of them just increasing the chances that you would get there. Uh, you look at the second round, Arkansas and Illinois, that's very tough. You look at the Sweet 16, it's not like last year where it's just, oh, no, Iowa is a matchup problem, but then they don't make it there. It's like, oh, no, UConn is a matchup problem, and if they don't make it there, St. Mary's is a matchup problem. There's just so many different variations of teams that, could challenge KU or are very good, that it's it's just like the depth of it creates the problem because basically even if you have an upset that in many other years would open the bracket for you, because there is such a depth of good teams, it probably won't open the bracket for you. It'll just create an upset that allows a different good team to advance. Yeah, Kansas. <laughs> yeah, the upset will allow Kansas to advance. I appreciate your optimism. I really do. Um, Ken Palm has Kansas as the fourth highest rated team in their own region. <laughs> Bart Torvik has them as the fifth highest rated team in their own region. It's it's a tough region. Listen, realistically, all you have to do is play two of Gonzaga, <laughs> UCLA, UConn, St. Mary's, or TCU. That's really hard. Play two of those teams. That's really hard. Play two of them. That's hard. That's less than half. Dude, look at every other bracket. Team. You look at like Alabama's and it's like, oh, you get to play either San Diego State, Charleston, Virginia, or Furman in the Sweet 16. And then like, do you trust Baylor to make the Elite Eight? No. Do you trust Arizona to make the Elite Eight? I mean, they could. They're really good, but also like they could get upset. I don't know. Like, it's just different. If if you would have if you would have put the 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 field from the Midwest into the West, maybe besides Texas, but gave them the West, I don't know that there'd be any complaints. I really don't. It's just how hard the bracket is. There probably still oh, there'd would be. be some. You're right. There still would be, but there'd be way less. There'd be way less because this is the maybe the, one of the most difficult brackets that uh, I can certainly remember. All right, he is Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Let's uh, recap what we saw at the Big Twelve Championship and the semifinals and the finals from uh, last week. Thanks. Half past the hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. As Nick uh, kind of teased at the beginning, the Chiefs have a new offensive tackle. We'll have a, a full NFL free agency segment on tomorrow's show. Today going to be pretty devoted to everything with KU and the NCAA tournament, but uh, did want to touch on it at least because it is big news. Juwan Taylor, he signed a four-year, $80 million deal. It basically means the end of Orlando Brown. They basically saved some money on, on not paying Brown. Taylor's a year younger at 25 years old. He uh, was kind of bad three years ago. 
And then two years ago, he became like an above average offensive tackle in pass blocking. Then this past year, he became an elite offensive tackle in pass blocking. Not the best run blocker. So it's kind of opposite of Orlando Brown, who was a good run blocker, but sometimes struggled with the pass blocking element, which it makes more sense to actually have the pass blocking guy. And he's a little bit cheaper. Yeah, yeah, Mahomes. Yeah, he, he's been a right tackle, though. They're going to move him to left tackle unless something pops up in the draft that would allow him to stay at right tackle. So. Uh, that certainly uh, of interest for for many different reasons. Okay, recapping the Big Twelve tournament for KU. Um, let's start with the Iowa State game. Kind of a continuation of the West Virginia game. You looked really yeah. good. You you won. You you kind of a game that you pulled away at the end. Um, defense yep. was fantastic. Two point offense. You shot over sixty percent on two point shots. Yep. Uh, Jalen in in kind of back to back. Really, the entire Dude, Big was, Twelve tournament. The first like three minutes of that game was awesome. Yeah, and and that entire tournament, he just he looked like that National Player of the Year type candidate. Like yeah. even the Texas game, he was really good. Uh, Grady Dick wasn't super efficient, but he was aggressive, and and I guess that continued on. Uh, each game got progressively worse in terms of the shooting percentage for him, but uh, I guess at least he was yeah. aggressive. Dewan was so good in the Iowa State game, and then. Uh, the biggest news of the Iowa State game was was just Kevin kind of re-injuring the yeah, back. Yeah, I think at ha- towards the end of the first half and going at halftime, he definitely looked like he was not a guy that was going to be able to go. And yeah, I don't think he played at all in the second half. So that was uh, that was tough to see. Yeah, Certainly. and then ended up going to the Texas game where you don't have Kevin McCuller. You don't obviously still have Bill Self. You could tell the difference in the KUD. They gave up so many like wide open layups in that game, and that's everyone. Okay. But I think it gets exacerbated by the fact that you know you have guys out there a lot in that game, whether it's MJ or whoever, that aren't used to playing, and so there's communication errors. And then also Kevin is like your go to defensive leader that would get that stuff in order, and is really good about. Um, Picking up like mistakes by other guys, like you clearly missed him in that game. You hope okay. he's back for the tournament. This I week. wanted to post something to you about the Texas mm-hmm. game. Do you think it's possible? Because I'll, in in that game against Texas, Kansas looked like they were playing their third third game in three days. They looked not super energetic. I'm wondering if, in a weird way, the news of Bill Self not coaching almost injected like some adrenaline into the players mm-hmm. for the first couple games of like, oh, we're playing without our coach, like whatever, right? And then that maybe wore off by the time you got to Texas and then you just kind of ran out of steam, basically. It's possible. I I don't know because they looked so good in those first two games. That's what I'm saying. So you get like an extra boost, like, like you know, I mean, a lot of times when you have something like that, it can rally a team together or something like that, you know, right? So he gives you like an adrenaline, a boost of adrenaline for the first couple games, but then it's like a hard, an even harder crash afterwards. I do think that while that is possible, it's also just possible Texas is a really good team, was a bad matchup for you, and you played like crap really bad. regardless of the yeah. motivation, I guess, so to speak. Yeah. It yeah, was, was ugly. It was um bad. The biggest thing for me after that game was more to the tune of you just hoped that Kansas in their tournament draw didn't draw athletic physical teams, which they Arkansas kind of did. is, yeah, UConn kind of, kind of is. If they got TCU in the Elite Eight, they would be. So it kind of depends on, on the possible matchups there, but I don't know. Texas is very good. Um, 
it was just a frustrating game because they, they were kind of in in the first half. I mean, they were leading yeah. for a good amount, and then they, yeah. they kind of give up that run at the end of the first half. And then the second half, they just couldn't make a shot. Like, it was it was more of the same in the idea that – because here's the thing. I will say, even if Kevin McCuller does play, clearly it helps the defense. Clearly it helps the rebounding. They had trouble rebounding in that game. And they're obviously playing a closer game if Kevin McCuller is playing in that game. But I don't think it changes who wins the game. Because think yeah. about it. Yeah, even if Kevin it, McCuller it, plays the well, the second half did turn into Jalen go drive. Which well, we've seen that happen, and it's yeah. And when that happens, it's generally a sign of KU not winning the right. game. Right, because even if Kevin played well, Grady struggled, Dewan struggled. Uh, yeah. That was really bad, and and KJ struggled and yeah, I mean, was in Dewan, foul trouble, and the bench I mean, was not good. Dewan had his worst game in since that what, bad stretch, since a month? that like three game stretch, yeah. yeah, in January, six weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, even if Kevin plays well. The recipe for this team to beat but other I, good teams is what four I, or five what, starters playing well. What I my takeaway from from Dewan though was that yes, on paper you look at it, it was one of his worst games, but he was still a guy who was looking to be aggressive and trying to drive and create at opportunities. It just it just wasn't working out. It just wasn't working like it normally does. Yeah, because of maybe Texas's length and their athleticism, whatever. But it just wasn't the same, right? But like, like I think if you look at the stat sheet of Dewan, it, you could overreact and be like, "Wow, Dewan had a really bad game. Like he must be way off." I didn't really get that sense while I, as as I was watching it. I got the sense of more it was a a situation where Dewan recognized that with no Kevin and with Grady struggling, that he needed to be something, basically next to Jalen, and he so he was trying to drive. He was trying to create whatever shots or avenues for assists, whatever, and it just it just wasn't working. So what do you kind of make of some of the results from from the players? Let's go through this. Uh, Jalen Wilson, just overall, totality of the entire Big 12 tournament. Jalen Wilson officially back? Yes. Yeah, I've obviously. Grady Dick, what do you make of that week? First game was really good. Uh, Second yeah. game was like solid but not great efficiency. Third game was I think aggressive it's a, but my, bad shooting. I think it's a microcosm of what we might see in the NCAA tournament where – I think there I think there could easily be a game in the NCAA tournament where Grady takes over and has 25. But I think you also might have a game in the NCAA tournament where he is 2 of 10 from 3. Yeah. Or something like that. So I think Kansas needs to brace for that. I, I don't think he's a guy that you can rely on to be an efficient and quantity score all 3, 4, 5, 6 games of the tournament. I think that's spot on. Um, let's see. But he certainly, but I, I expect that he's going to have at least one game where he'll go off. I agree. Certainly. Uh, let's see with Kevin McCuller, obviously the biggest stuff there is just what's the back going to be like, right? How healthy is he going to be? Because you're right from a, I do think that was the right move to rest him for that game. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, now looking back, wait, wait, I do have a hypothetical real quick. (laughs) If hypothetically KU wins that game, they do get the Midwest and you could go back in time and tell Norm Roberts that, do you think they play Kevin? Like, what do you mean? Like, do you think if you could go back like, in time, I time and travel right into now. the KU locker room right before the game starts, and, be like, and Norm hey, Roberts like, gonna... hey, I'm not playing Kevin, and you go, hey, coach, I saw the future, you get blown out, and then you end up getting the third one seed in the West, not the Midwest, do you think he changes his mind and plays Kevin? Oh. Probably not. Well, I don't know, maybe. I mean, we don't know how bad it was. I mean, That's maybe, thing, maybe yeah. it was a situation where, like, he literally couldn't play. Right, right, right. Like maybe it wasn't a maybe it wasn't a overcautious type thing. Maybe it was legitimately he was unable to go. Yeah. Yeah, that's you know? that's the ultimate question. So we'll see. And and honestly, 
It might even make some sense if you have to rest him for the Howard game, right? You could probably get away with that. But then again, does he need to get back into the swing of play? Does he need to shake Rust off for a possible second round game? Yeah, could be. It honestly would have worked out nice if KU got the Friday, Sunday, just for maybe one extra day of rest or or one extra day for Bill Self to come back to. Okay, so that's Kevin McCuller. Um, Who are we missing here? Dewan Harris? Dewan and KJ. Yeah, Dewan Harris. I think he was Dewan, excellent the first two games. Yeah, I so. think he's going to be fine. Yeah. I, I think you can. I think you can rely on Dewan to be a guy who's an excellent facilitator, not going to turn the ball over and just just be what he's been most of the season. I think the concern you have is if the Grady Dick bad game in the tournament overlaps with Dewan because I think Dewan was pressing against Texas. That's that was my impression. Is that he? Like I said, I think he recognized that with Grady struggling and Kevin out. He needed to try to do more, and I think that kind of he it he was trying too hard, you know. That that was my takeaway. So I guess my I guess if I like if I'm Bill Self or Norm Roberts after that game, I'm saying, hey, just 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 go do your thing, man. Don't you know? I don't don't feel like you need to be pressured to go try to score or go create or whatever. Just. Just, just do what you've been doing all season, and don't don't think too hard. Don't think don't think too much about it. Yeah, and Texas also has really athletic guards that make it challenging on you and, and can get up in you defensively. And Dewan's had a really bad last two games against Texas, although he was awesome against them in Allen Fieldhouse. So maybe it's just a matchup thing as well. I'm not really concerned there. Uh, KJ Adams. The biggest concern for KJ is foul trouble. Yeah, uh, because that's been an ongoing issue, really throughout the whole season almost. And you have Ernest, but Ernest is still at the stage where you're like pretty confident that he can play 10 to 12 minutes any more than that. And it, I think you feel a little nervous. Yes. So you still need KJ to avoid foul trouble and avoid those dumb fouls. And I, I dude, he's like a, he's like a foul magnet out there. I don't know how he does it. He just, I, I don't even understand how, how it happens. It's just, he just suddenly he suddenly there's nine minutes left in the first half and he has two fouls and I don't even remember half the time I don't remember it happening <laughs> I don't even remember it happening it's just boop, that's two on KJ what mm-hmm. I, so I don't know he's got to he's got to work on that and and obviously if it's a if they get if Kansas does have to play a team that has a big man that's physical or imposing like a like a a UConn type that becomes an even more of a concern but. He's just got to stay out of foul trouble because otherwise, you know, he's great. He and Dewan in the short pick and roll are still really solid. He's he's proven to be a reliable rebounder generally. So just avoid foul trouble. Yeah. Um, there's that saying, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. So do you have any positive things to say about the bench? I promise you Joe Yesfu is going to make a big shot okay. in one game. I don't then, know when. I don't know where. Three straight. He, it's gonna happen. I just did it. I, I'm, I'm not on, supposed to say something mean. I'm but, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the I'm on the Joe train, man. I understand that he kind of sucks, but he. I'm telling you, he's gonna okay. do something positive. Okay. I think. I'll just I'll, I'll leave it there. That can be our positive to finish. Uh, we're gonna take a timeout. We've got some uh, player audio from the Big Twelve tournament. We have NCAA tournament audio too. We'll get to later in the show. Then we'll have case of the Mondays after that. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. <laughs> Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. 
Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How much does it calm down? Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. That time to see who has a case of the Mondays here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. First, though, if you're looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering, Venue 1235 has you covered, located right off I-70 and just five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Venue 1235 is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. All right, into it. Case of the Mondays. First up, all the bubble teams who did not make it. It's always funny to me every year there's there's complaints about this team didn't make it, that team didn't make it, why is this team in the field? And then as soon as the action starts on Thursday, nobody cares. Nobody cares anymore. And, and literally no one cares. No, no one remembers either. No, exactly, exactly. Like 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 do you like if I was to be like, Oh, do you remember in twenty eleven when that one bubble team didn't make it? Be like, the no, tournament? I don't. I'd be like, What? No. Yeah, what what team? What team was on the bowl? Now, maybe if you're a fan of that team, you remember it. Like, that would make sense. You'd be like, you know, like, Oklahoma State will probably remember this and be like, the NCAA keeps screwing us. First, they uh, suspended us from the postseason. Now they're doing it right. But, yeah, like, I, I couldn't even tell you who was any of the first four out last year. I couldn't. No, so, I couldn't either. I, I couldn't know. either. Move on, I guess. Yeah, I It's a field yeah, of I mean, 68 teams. Like, I get it. There can be certain head-scratching decisions. But, like, at the end of the day... Those teams aren't going to win a title. So, know. like, who cares? Yeah. But, no, that's a good point. Once the tournament starts, the term bubble team it has gone. It's gone. Yep. Out the window. Case of the Mondays for the Wizard of Oz movie for people in power at North Carolina and Michigan because clearly it has not been watched or being watched. Uh, the Is it the lion that doesn't have any courage in Wizard of Oz? It is. Yeah. yeah the, the scarecrow's no brains. The lion has no courage. Um, North Carolina, Michigan, no courage. They did not make the NCAA tournament, and they declined bids to the NIT. Okay. They don't want to get embarrassed. For North Carolina, I think this makes sense. You're a blue blood. You suck. Why would you want to go play in the NIT? I think it's fine. I have no problem with this. I... I, again, like I, I think you it's lose kind of spineless. The, if you lose in the NIT, then you just suck even more, and it's like, wow, now you actually, yeah, like, and that's kind of spineless. Sucking, your suckiness is even further uh, validated. Kind of spineless. I was thinking about this today. What if you were like Charleston, for instance, because you got a 12 seed in the NCAA tournament, you have 31 wins, and you're Charleston. Imagine Charleston declined the invite to the NCAA tournament, and it was like. But wait, we could finish thirty six and three if we win the NIT. We'd be one of the best like records of all time in NCAA history. But no, I, 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 I just think I, I think there is like a certain level of if you're a blue blood school, I think it makes sense. I just it may sound high and mighty, but like you're a blue blood. If you didn't make the NCAA tournament, you're done. Sorry, I don't know, it's man. Over. This this feels to me like you're yeah like the you know beggars can't be choosers type of thing where yes if you're any other school yes like I, Michigan, now maybe, like maybe Michigan I can get on board with. Michigan yeah. should play in the in the NIT well maybe what happened is the players said that like like Caleb Love was like well I'm gonna opt out I just won't play in it but here's my counter to that if you're North Carolina you're gonna be without well, Caleb okay. Love probably next year this anyway is not this is not football. I, I disagree. You're I think some gonna, of the players would opt out. I, I do. I really do. You're not because gonna, they're going to be like, I'm not a, playing for anything. You're not going to have a career-ending injury. I'm just saying. 
I think that would happen, but to me, the NIT can serve as a good building tool toward next season. Well, We've seen a lot dudes, of teams... They're win. probably playing pickup in a gym anyway, sure. so why not just go play the NIT? We've seen a lot of teams... Okay, you're you're further arguing why they should play in the NIT. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that we've seen a lot of teams like do well in the NIT and then the next year they, they have a capitalization season off it. Like the experience can actually be valuable. I'm not saying you hang a banner or anything if you win it, but like you can't hang a banner. You can't North decline Carolina. it, dude. If you're North Carolina, you can't hang a banner. No, you absolutely don't, but you cannot decline it. Play the games. Uh, sprinters facing off with Tyreek Hill in the indoor 60 meter. It was the. Uh, I forget what the league name was, but it's basically the, it's, it's the USA Masters, I think. Track and Field Masters. Yeah, so it's it's not which, like which, everyone. Which, by the way, clear. I did some research on this. I think it's, it's 25 like and a, older. It's like open. It's like an open. Like yeah. anybody can run it. Correct. Okay. So I saw a bunch of people saying, wow, look at Tyreek Hill. Oh, my God, he won this he thing. He killed everyone, yeah. He was running his dudes off the street. Why are we, why are we all getting all hyped up for him to win this race? I mean, he I mean, smoked did you, everyone. Did you watch like, the it video? Wasn't even close. Did yeah. you look at the guys he was running against? Mm-hmm. They were, they were literally. I could walk outside right now and find five dudes that look exactly like the guys that he ran against. And we're supposed to be, I'm supposed to be impressed by that. Well, he got a, He ran a six-seven, which is still like four tenths of a second, which is a sizable distance at, at that amount of race um, from like the world record holder, but. That's still pretty good, man. And, and yeah, like those, no, that's great. Tyree kills fast. But wow, the people are competing in that. Wow, I'm shocked. It's not a rec center event. It's still people who are like doing, like they, they are professionally barely. training like the barely, for the sprinting. Like one level above it that. killed them, man. It's like one level above that. And uh, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to act hyped that Tyree kills fast. Okay. Wow, breaking news. Tyree kills fast. I didn't know that, guys. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, the cool. Carolina Panthers, if their top pick quarterback is bad, they put a big risk into this. They traded their first and second this year, which was pick nine for the first. Traded their first and second next year. Also traded DJ Moore, who, you know, he's he's a solid number one receiver. He's not yeah. like a, yeah. a top ten receiver or anything, but he's he's a good he's a, he's a good player. Be, yeah, probably top twenty receiver in the NFL. P- traded all that to get up to number one and the pick, which presumably is going okay. to be to take a first so, round. Or, or are we going to circle back to this and give Case the Mondays to you when the Panthers trade number one overall pick? Well, yeah, there is talk now that they're going to trade down from like number one to number two or number three, yes. and that they're content taking a different quarterback and that somebody else wants a certain quarterback. So it, it could all get crazy. I don't know. But here's the thing. Pretty much this is a, this is a risk. And I, I actually am, you know, if, if you're a team, and you, you kind of got to take these because if this does hit, you're going to look back on it. Like if, if, let's say they took Bryce Young first or something, and Bryce Young ends up being a top eight quarterback in the NFL. Okay. Giving up two firsts and two seconds for a top eight quarterback is totally worth Can it. Can you name one skill player on the Panthers right now? Oh, gosh. Um, probably not because, let's see, they traded Christian McCaffrey. Deontay Foreman's a free agent, I think. So I couldn't name him. DJ Moore's gone. I think, is Shai Smith still around? Oh, Terrence, uh, shoot, Terrence... Guy from you're getting, LSU, you're getting warmer receiver, Close. Terrence. I want to say Samuels, but that's clearly not right. I'm mixing Terrence, Curtis Samuels with Terrence, Terrence Marshall. 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 There we go. Terrence Marshall. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's it's not very good. Terrence it, Marshall. It is objectively one. funny that they were like, let's trade for a rookie quarterback, but let's have nobody around him. Let's trade yes, DJ Moore. Exactly. Away. See, now we're getting to the root of why this is such a comical yeah. move. By no, the it, it, it's funny, but again, like 
having a good receiver with a bad quarterback, the Panthers won four games. If you have, would you rather have a good receiver with a bad quarterback or a bad or a bad bad receivers with a good quarterback? Give me the good quarterback because a good quarterback with bad receivers could still win you nine or ten games. So if this works out again, it's totally fine. Well, but and if this remember, does not work out. They it play is in the, the NFC South. I yes. mean, they could go six and eleven and maybe win the division. Yeah, I mean, they have, the NFC South is the worst division ever of all time that I've yeah. ever seen. Earth 2046, Case of the Mondays. This report from Scientific <laughs> America. Newfound asteroid may strike Earth in 2046, according to NASA. Preliminary estimates suggest that a 50-meter space rock called 2023 DW has roughly 1 in 600 chance of colliding with our planet in 23 years. Okay, do you know how big the rock was that killed the dinosaurs? No. That was 7.5 miles wide. Wow. And this is 50 meters wide. I think we'll be yeah, okay. It's the length of an Olympic-sized swimming pool, man. I think we'll be okay. Especially if, if it lands in the ocean. Poof, who cares? And the Earth is 80% water. I don't know. This in 2046, says, it might be 90% water. Right, this says a direct impact from such a rock would be, wouldn't be a cataclysmic, um, like the dinosaur uh, event, but it would generate a shockwave that damaged thousands of buildings and, and uh, would be similar to the one at Chernobyl or... Shelia Bintz, no, yeah, Russia. There's, there's actually one that hit Russia. In that hit 1,500 people. There would be some damage. Sure. Okay, fine. Some damage. Okay. Maybe we'll just direct it to Manhattan. Case of the Mondays for the U.S. in the World Baseball Classic. They stink. They might not make it out. Also, batters facing Japan. Japan might have three of the top ten starters in the world. They have two guys, Rossi Sasaki okay, I didn't and like bother Mamamoto. To, I didn't bother to read the story by Ken Rosenthal, but mm-hmm. there was some issue with American pitchers. Did you read yeah, a lot of them didn't want to pitch or are on innings limits. Oh. Yeah. And also, like, none of the top pitchers are playing for them. Like, Jacob Grom or, you know, all these guys. Yeah, like, why, would they? why wouldn't they just go to spring training? That's what they're doing. <laughs> they're, they're like, screw this. <laughs> Most of the other countries, the players care about this a lot more than the U.S. Like, this is the that ultimate This is the ultimate U.S. thing. It's, it's well, the, like, isn't that how the Olympics were before U.S. Before the US made the dream? I don't know. In the 90s? Like, did oh, they care for about basketball. It? For basketball. Yeah, for basketball. Oh, with basketball. Ba- um, yeah, was with basketball, it was, it was college. Well, it's just that it was college kids in basketball. It wasn't that they didn't want to play. It's that it was college kids. Now you're seeing, you see it here so much in the NBA, like load management. We're seeing that kind of with this in the MLB. But all these other countries, they're like, no, I, I love my country. I want to play for them. So it's certainly uh, interesting. Wow, Case the Mondays for, for patriotism. Yeah, I guess so. Last one, uh, LA Rams are on Case of the Mondays because the teardown is officially happening. They traded Jalen Ramsey, who still was like a top five corner in the NFL last year. Kind of had a, a slow start to the year, but he finished the season really, really strong. They traded him away, and I think he's, yes, he's on a solid size contract, but I think I was looking, he's the seventh or eighth highest paid corner this year, so it's not like he's getting like super overpaid. They traded him for a third round pick and a backup tight end. And he's under contract for three more years to the Dolphins. Which, by the way, for the Dolphins, just continue to load up on stars. Pretty good, yeah. The Dolphins, all that just to finish third in their division. I know, I was just going to say. It's like, congrats, Dolphins. You are now the sixth best team in the AFC if things go your way. All right. Yeah, that's not going to work out, I don't think. Rams stink, though. All right, he is... Yeah, but, uh, what, oh, but, but people forget, oh. Matt Stafford said... We're going to beat them next year, the Chiefs. Ah, oh, that's right. Who are we According to, to Kelly Stafford's podcast. Who are we to judge Matt Stafford? All right, he is Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Let's start narrowing down the field, take a look at who can make the Final Four, help you out with your bracket picks. That coming up next. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Graham Doran's going to join the show in less than 20 minutes to talk 
about the bracket, maybe biggest surprises or uh, more in depth about some of the weird things that the tournament committee did. Guys, it's all about confidence. Confidence knowing you'll be ready to go when your partner is and confidence knowing you'll be able to go a few extra rounds when needed. Confidence is what you get with Chewables from BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. They also have mint-flavored chewables with the active ingredient in Levitra and Staxin, so you can stay fresh as well. And you can get this benefit of extra confidence when it's time to perform by visiting bluechew.com. And here's the special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free when you use our promo code RCST at checkout. You just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com promo code RCST to receive your first month for free. All right. So we're going to, in the uh, five o'clock hour, we are going to narrow down the field of of which teams can win the national title based on some of these different parameters. Right now, we're going to narrow down which teams can make the Final Four. So this could be helpful for your bracket pick. And, And this doesn't necessarily give you the direct answer. This isn't me saying, hey, here's the answers to the test. This one's A, this one's C, this one. No, this is me basically narrowing the field. Wait, so now I thought you were a genius. How do you not? How is this not you giving the answers to the test? Because you cannot fully predict the unpredictable. But basically, the idea here is to make your your job a little easier. Instead of you having a, you know, I, I guess I could say one in sixteen chance of who you're picking out of the uh, one of the regions. Although realistically, you're you're probably going to only pick one of a, a couple I don't handfuls think that's how of math teams. Works. Well, you have sixteen choices to pick from. Yeah, but to win the region. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Basically, it's going to narrow down your I numbers. I shouldn't question the math. No, you're fine. Uh, so you basically, it narrows down your numbers. It basically makes it so that you should be picking one of these teams. And to be clear, this is not a foolproof system because, as I said, you cannot predict the unpredictable. March Madness is the unpredictable. So the idea here isn't to be perfect. The idea here is to increase your odds of winning something, right? It's to increase the the, okay. the percentage chances that over the course of time— you will have a better bracket, right? Um, and by the way, if you're wondering how these worked out last year, uh, Kansas, Duke, Villanova all qualified for our parameters last year. So the parameters that you generated. Exactly. So it doesn't yeah. guarantee you would have picked all three, Yep. but it at least left uh, there. And, and then North Carolina was kind of the unpredictable team. So I guess the idea here is to get you in the ballpark so you can make more educated guesses. Win the percentages, not the outliers, right? Okay. Okay, so the first parameter for all Final Four teams, this goes back to 2002. So it gives us a two-decade sample, uh, two decades plus, I guess, at this point. Every team has been a top 11 seed. Wow. So So nobody that's a 12 seed or higher has made the Final Four. Yes, I think only two 12 seeds have even made the Elite Eight. There was that Oregon State school uh, team a couple years ago in the COVID year, and then Missouri did it back in the uh, early mid 2000s. But outside of that, no 12 seed or higher over the last since 2002 has well, made then, uh, Final Peter, Four. St. Peter's made the Elite Eight. I guess that, yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I yeah, you're right. You're right. Because I don't think any 14 or, or 15 or uh, 14 or 13 or 16 has done it. Obviously, yeah. So yeah. So St. Peter's became the third. Not. I, I was just thinking of only 12. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, basically, that narrows down already. You have chopped off everyone from the 12 seed or lower to make the Final Four. 
75 of the the 80 teams who have made the Final Four since 2002 were top 31 in Ken Palm entering in. So again, there are five exceptions to the rule. But do you want to be the person who's banking on the exceptions, or do you want to be the person banking on what typically happens, right? Do you want to be the guy betting on Alabama to make the college football playoff, or do you want to be the guy who is right every now and then, but for the most part loses money because Alabama (laughs) mostly makes the playoff, right? (laughs) So if you, if you look at top 31 in Ken Palm, we'll go by region here. In the South, that would eliminate Virginia, that would eliminate NC State, and that would eliminate Missouri. That sucks, Missouri. In the Midwest, that would eliminate Iowa, that would eliminate Miami, Pittsburgh, Mississippi State, and Penn State. And to be clear, this does not necessarily mean that those teams can't go on a long run, right? Like, yeah, Iowa could make a Sweet 16, or yeah. Pittsburgh could make a Sweet 16. But, but this is what I'm saying, don't, ne- don't pick them to make a Final Four. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, in the West, eliminates Northwestern, Illinois, Arizona State, and Nevada. In the East, it eliminates Michigan State, USC, and Providence. Okay, so now we're we're chomped down a little bit more. We went to only the top 11 seeds each region. Now you're, you went to 44 teams. We just eliminated, let's see, 12, 15 more. So now we have just 29 teams left um, that could possibly make a Final Four. Okay. 76 of the 80 teams who have made the Final Four since 2002 were top 60 entering the tournament in adjusted offensive efficiency. This isn't going to eliminate a lot of teams, but it's going to get rid of a couple notable ones. In the South, goodbye San Diego State. So if you thought, hey, maybe somebody can get through Alabama, well, probably not going to be San Diego State. Then maybe not to the Final Four. Iowa State out of the Midwest and Boise State out of the West. Then we go to the defensive side of the ball. 74 of the 80 Final Four teams entered the tournament with a top 50 adjusted defensive efficiency. That eliminates a a nice little chunk of teams in the South. Goodbye, West Virginia. Goodbye, Baylor. And goodbye, Utah State. Out of the Midwest, Xavier. Can't play defense. You're gone. Out of the West, here's an interesting one. Gonzaga. See you. Bye-bye. And out of the East, Kentucky. Can't defend the pick and roll. That sucks, Kentucky. Yeah. That sucks, John. So, okay, now now we're narrowed down a little bit more. So we eliminated three from the offense side. We eliminated, let's see, six from the defensive side. So we're down to 20 teams who could possibly make a Final Four. Here's our last parameter. 73 of the 80 Final Four teams since 2002 had head coaches who either were in their first NCAA tournament appearance or, if they've made the tournament before, had at least made a Sweet 16. So they had coaching experience. That's interesting. How many were in their first tournament? There's more than you think. Um, It's like, uh, let's see, Kevin Ollie with UConn. Um, I'm trying to think of other recent Final Four teams. Uh, Hubert Hubert Davis Davis. last year with North Carolina would have qualified there. Yeah. It's a lot more than you would think. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, head coaching experience matters, right? So that would eliminate Maryland from the South. That would eliminate Indiana from the Midwest. How about this one? This has been a trendy pick a lot of people have taken. UConn out of the West. That sucks, UConn. And that would also eliminate Memphis. Yeah, has, I mean, has Dan Florida Hurley Island. ever even won a tournament game? Dan Hurley has when he was at Rhode Island, but he has never made the Sweet 16. So Dan Hurley's uh, tournament resume, 
and he's on the 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 list of of coaches who surprisingly have not made a Sweet 16. Like the most notable ones are Dan Hurley at UConn now, um, Brad Underwood at Illinois, and then uh, Fran McCaffrey at Iowa. For a while, up until two years ago, Greg McDermott at Creighton was on that list too, but they made the Sweet 16 in, uh, I want to say it was the COVID year. But yeah, uh, uh, Dan Hurley made the tournament at Rhode Island in 2017 and 2018, lost in the second round both years, and then he's made it at UConn in 2021 and 2022. Lost in the first round both years. So that's why he's out there. And then, yeah, Memphis and FAU from the East. Yikes. So that eliminates five more teams. That leaves 15 teams for final four spots. Here they are by region. In the South, leaves you with Alabama, Arizona, and Creighton. It's kind of an interesting one. Yeah. So if you want. Pick which of those three you think is the best or best suited or you like or is the hottest or whatever. Pick one of those three. You know, not foolproof. Doesn't guarantee. But if you play the odds here, chances are. Because think about it. If you're if you're going to do a tournament bracket, yep. usually the guy who the guy or gal, the, the person who wins your tournament bracket. They're not always the smartest person. No, no, not that either. But also, how many Final Four teams do they usually have? It's not all of them. It's usually yeah, it's like two or like three, two. right? Yeah, two or three, and then they pick the national. I mean, champion, if you have right? two, if you have two Final you Four feel teams, good. that's pretty. You feel good. good. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. If you good. have two Final Four teams, you pick the champ. You're feeling good. That's pretty good. Yeah. So if you can get I mean, two dude, out of four out of this, my mom would pick the tournament based off team colors, and she would do better brackets than me. Yeah, that's the ultimate bracket thing, right? I'm I'm gonna be doing. I I do my dog. I I let her pick a, a bracket every year with like food selections, and we have like stipulations about if it's a dog team, like it has to be picked against twice the loot. Nonetheless, <laughs> um, I'll be doing that tonight, so we'll see how that ends up. I think it actually beat me last. So was year. that your version of the puppy bowl? <laughs> yeah, sort of. Yeah. Um. So I'll, I'll do that tonight. That'll probably be guaranteed to, to beat my bracket, like I said, as it did last year. Um, so anyway, those are the three teams. Pick which one you like the best. Alabama, Arizona, and Creighton. Out of the Midwest, Houston, Texas, and then here's the interesting ones, especially because these next two teams both play those first two teams if they make it to the second round, Auburn and Texas A&M. Hmm, interesting. Now, I, I don't... Love Auburn. I'm confused by Texas A&M seeding. Yeah, that was like, a weird seed. They, they got a second seven. in the SEC. They make the SEC title game, and they're a seven. That was very weird for A&M. Yeah, they're they're a good team. With Auburn, I they're 314th in the country in three point percentage. So I'm oh. not buying into the Auburn thing there. Oh. They just happened to just clear some of these parameters weirdly enough. So realistically, I'd probably say Houston, Texas, or Texas A&M. Okay. Personally, to me, this feels like a Houston or Texas one. Uh, uh, heard but, here first. Auburn going to the Final Four. I guess it could. You never know. Okay, on to the West. And this makes the most sense. We've talked about how difficult the West is, so you would think the most teams would survive the parameters in the West, and that is the case, although they're actually, weirdly enough, tied with the East. Both have five available. Kansas, so there's a good sign. UCLA, St. Mary's, TCU, and Arkansas. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Not surprised to see TCU on there. And Arkansas, listen, they were the SEC preseason favorites. So we know they're a good team. They just had injuries in a bad year, basically. Yeah. Well, it's certainly interesting, too. When you look at the South, that means based on just these parameters, Alabama would only have to play one of the other teams from this tier in the Elite Eight. Houston, 
would have to do weirdly against if they play Auburn in the second round and then not until the Elite Eight. With Kansas, they would have to play possibly one in the second round, Arkansas, the Sweet 16, St. Mary's, and the Elite Eight with UCLA and TCU, which just shows how, <laughs> how difficult the path is, as do many other numbers. And then the East, here are the teams to pick from there. Purdue, Marquette, Kansas State, interestingly enough, this is year one for Jerome Tang, Tennessee, and Duke. Now, one other, you know, parameter thing that I haven't discussed here is the idea of player injuries. Yeah. So, like, for Tennessee, you yep. could even apply this to maybe, like, UCLA. Yeah. Obviously, take those into account. So, realistically, Tennessee, like, without Ziggler and, probably wouldn't apply here. Yeah. Which is why, realistically, for me, I would say pick one of Purdue, Marquette, Kansas State, and Duke. Um, and then out of the Midwest, I'd say, realistically, one of Houston or Texas or Texas A&M. Out of the South, Alabama, Arizona, Creighton, West, get crazy with it. Kansas, UCLA, St. Mary's, TCU, Arkansas. So there's narrowing down the field. Again, not guaranteed to get all four right, but probably will get three of the four right. So yep. if you can pick which one on the whittled down lists, if you can pick two of them, probably sitting pretty to uh, at least have a chance to win money in your bracket pick. We're going to narrow down the field for who can win the title. That's going to be a much shorter list. I'll tell you this. There's only two teams that applied unless we go with our uh, a little more ballooned one. Then it's like a, a handful of about six or seven. But uh, Graham Doran is going to join us coming up next with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. As uh, KU will be the one seed in the West region. They're the third-ranked overall one seed. And we're here to discuss the bracket, maybe some uh, interesting decisions from the NCAA, who got left in, who got left out, and maybe surprises, all that stuff with Graham Doran. You can check out all his work throughout the year at Graham Doran on Twitter and GrahamDoranBracketology.wordpress.com. I, I guess we'll just start right there. Houston was ahead of Kansas, which... I don't know how surprising that would have been after KU's lost to Texas if Houston would have won the AAC. Certainly, it felt like a coin flip at that point. But after Houston got blown out by Memphis, uh, did did that result end up making things pretty shocking for you, or, or did you kind of expect something like this to happen? I didn't expect it to happen. I thought that after Kansas was handily beaten by Texas, especially the way that it happened, I thought that Kansas was going to fall back to that third overall number one seed. But I made a, a one specific contingency bracket uh, on Sunday morning, which was if Houston loses to Memphis and Purdue beats Penn State and Alabama wins the SEC tournament, here's what I think is going to happen. And I moved Kansas into the Midwest as that number two overall seed because I just thought the resume would be too good at that point for a team that lost at home to Temple and on a neutral court to Memphis and at home to Alabama for them, knowing they haven't really beaten a lot of great teams throughout the course of the year to be above Kansas, a team that had won 17 games against Quadrant One. I was very surprised uh, when Houston was able to lose their championship game and remain ahead of the Jayhawks. What did you think of the committee chair's justification by, uh, in, in actually in the interview on the after the bracketology show, he basically combined the quad one and quad two wins for Houston and Kansas and tried to use that as reasoning as to why Houston should have been above Kansas. I mean, what do you think of that? Do you think it's fair to just combine the quads or what's the point of separating them at that point? 
Well, I do look at that as one of the the factors that I'm looking for, uh, because I do know uh, it's historically relevant to seeding and selecting teams for the NCAA tournament. That said, I felt it was disingenuous in this particular usage. Uh, And the reason why is because that's usually useful for teams that have somewhat similar profiles in ways that you compare teams. Uh, In this particular case, you're talking about Kansas playing almost all up games and Houston playing almost all down games within those two quadrants. Is it really fair to compare at Texas with Kent State at home or Oral Roberts at home with at Baylor? Because that's what the committee was doing when they combined those. So I really felt the explanation from committee chair Chris Reynolds was sorely lacking, didn't make any logical sense. And frankly, if they want to say, we just think Houston is better, come out and say it. Like, I don't think that's an unusual take for a lot of people to have. But to not say that and instead pretend like the resumes were remotely similar, I felt was disingenuous. Yeah, I 100% agree. I I think if they would have said that, I mean, you still would have had some people mad and and deservedly so if if you're ranking some stuff on resume. But, like, I think that could have gotten them a a little more off the back. I I, I think also the comments about the the injury stuff and how they said – you know, Marcus Sasser was injured for the AAC title, but KU didn't get the same, I guess, excuse uh, about Kevin McCuller and Bill Self being out, and then them saying that they were worried about basically Bill Self's status next week, even though KU came out with a press release earlier in that day. That was all kind of weird to me, and it makes me wonder, going back all the way to the original early selection release, whatever it's called, about, I don't know, five, six weeks ago, when KU was the fourth number one seed. Looking back on it, do you think they were trying to say at that point there was a sizable gap between maybe Houston and Alabama that we didn't really know how big that gap was to where Kansas was? Yeah, I think that's an interesting look at it, Um, and it may have been the case. I think even if you went back to to that time, uh, Purdue and Kansas had better resumes than Houston did at the time, but they said they spent a lot of time thinking about that order. What seems maybe clear in hindsight is they thought a lot about the order at that time and they were sold on Houston and there wasn't really going to be a lot that Houston could do that would make them not believe in the Cougars. And I think this is to me less about KU than it is a judgment that they just felt Houston was better. I think it's something we've seen similar to Gonzaga in past years, where it's not really the resume. It's just, does the committee think you're better? And I think that's really the conclusion they came to, is that Houston was the better team. And again, I think you can make different calls about whether that's what the committee should be looking at. Should they be emphasizing results over you know, predictive metrics and eye tests and things like that? I think they were probably a little hesitant to say anything that would indicate that this was just eye test based. They're trying so hard to say that the eye test and basketball judgment doesn't really play a factor in anymore. But let's be honest, that's what the decision was about. Because if it was about resume, it wasn't close. Kansas clearly deserved the overall number two seed based on their wins and losses compared to Houston. 
Yeah, and I, th- I think it was actually interesting because I think in the uh, interview he said we we try not to use the word eye test, but you're exactly right. They just kind of did. Uh, so I, I guess beyond the the KU Houston thing, in, in terms of who made the field, who didn't make the field, what was your biggest surprise? I think the team that made the field that I, I wasn't. I don't even want to say I'm surprised. Frankly, uh, they were one of the final teams I was considering. Uh, Nevada, and I had compared them to two teams uh, recently. One was the 2016 Tulsa team. That team caught everybody by surprise, and I did a lot of analysis uh, after that inclusion to figure out why did Tulsa make the tournament. And really, it was pretty simple. The resume was good enough. They just got blown out in their conference tournament game in a game that everybody thought they really had to have. So everybody came to the conclusion that, well, they didn't do what they needed to in the conference tournament. They're out. But the resume was still good enough. And I think that's exactly what the committee decided with Nevada. The reason I didn't include them is I also thought they were similar to a team last year, Xavier, who uh, had a good enough resume but really faded down the stretch. And I think the committee last year decided Xavier's not really one of the 36 best at-large teams. Even if the resume's good enough, let's not include them. So could have gone either way. They went with the team uh, that was similar to 2016 Tulsa, where the resume is good enough. Um, so I think Nevada as an inclusion uh, definitely surprised me. The team that I was surprised was out was Rutgers. Um, and it's not because Rutgers had a great resume. They had four bad losses. Uh, they had an injury that really impacted their performance down the stretch. But I think it gets back to what does the committee usually talk about? And they say and have said for many years that when you're talking about NCAA tournament selection, injuries usually aren't much of a factor. It's seeding where teams will get dinged for having somebody out due to injury. In this case, they said Rutgers didn't have one of their best players. They felt it was a long enough sample size to consider that Rutgers really wasn't the same team. So uh, they chose not to include them in the tournament. I understand the logic, but it does break past precedent. What about outside of, I guess, the, the I don't know if this would be it, the, the number one overalls, but was there a team that you were very surprised with where they were seated, whether it was too high or too low? I thought Texas A&M getting a seven seed was surprising to me. Uh, I had them at a six seed, so it's not like uh, they were far apart, but I thought there was a chance they might get up to a five seed. I didn't think there was a chance they were going to slide to a seven. The reasoning's pretty simple. They were really good down the stretch. They were one of the best teams in SEC play, clearly, records or no records. You just had to watch them, see some of the wins they picked up in SEC play. And I just felt that they had done enough during SEC play to really overcome what they did in the non-conference portion of the schedule, which, frankly, wasn't very good. But still, you could tell this team was one of the SEC's best teams. So to not be amongst the top six seeds to be behind Kentucky, I thought was really a little strange uh, because it was very clear Texas A&M had really proven themselves uh, more than Kentucky had. Are there any lessons you can take away from this, like as a bracketologist uh, of what the committee is looking for? Like, are there there anything that stick out this year or... Is that something where it's it's almost impossible to do? I, I don't know how often they change up like who the members are of the committee and how much that changes things, but are there any like I guess resounding lessons or, or things that you're gonna take into account for, for next year? 
Yeah, I think back to, you know, an injury could possibly affect a team getting into the tournament. I'll definitely take that into consideration. I think with Clemson uh, being out of the tournament, it indicates maybe non-conference strength of schedule is once again uh, a little bit more important. Uh, and I think that you saw the same thing with Texas A&M being down at a seven seed. They had a bad non-conference schedule that seems to have impacted them in the overall seed list. But the other part of it is, you just go with general themes year to year because they are not consistent, not even year to year, but within the same year. Florida Atlantic goes 31 and three in Conference USA. And yeah, they don't really have any marquee wins, but you know who they seem very similar to me? Houston. They are the junior version of Houston. The committee loved Houston. Doesn't matter what the resume is. And said, we're going to put them second overall. Florida Atlantic, they go ahead and put up a resume that could have been worthy of a seven seed, gave them a nine seed. So you just can't draw sweeping conclusions because at the end of the day, the committee is just going to vote the way they want, and they're not even going to be consistent within the same year. All right, well, uh, to the the portion of the bracket where you're picking it, I, I know you're more of a you know you're predicting what's going to be the bracket, but uh, I guess do you get to this point? Do you have a little fun? Does it feel relaxing to to actually just fill out a, a bracket that's given to you as opposed to having to to seed everybody together? You know, I'm just getting to that point to be frank uh, because the first day you're really just thinking about what did I do wrong what did I do right what lessons can I can I take away um, but yeah at this point I'm, I'm just ready to go see some basketball games uh, ready to, to fill out some brackets and uh, just very excited uh, for the general bracket I think there's a, a lot of really interesting games I think we have very strong 5-12 matchups this year our eight and nine seeds are probably as strong as I ever remember so uh, there should be plenty of really good first-round games this year. Well, to that point, I know you said you're just kind of getting work on it, but you probably watch and, and evaluate the the schedules and, and everything of, of some of these smaller schools than certainly I do or, or many other people listening. So uh, as far as maybe some of those double-digit seeds or, or maybe Cinderella uh, picks or something like that, like uh, are, are there any teams that, that kind of came to mind to you when you first saw the, the original 68 field? Well, I think this year we were very fortunate as college basketball fans to have a lot of conference tournament favorites win their conference tournament. So we're not just seeing mid-majors. We're seeing very strong mid-majors across the board. Uh, one team that really stands out for me is Kent State. I think they have a very good chance to get past Indiana. And I think Miami and Drake, the game right next to that, that's anybody's ball game. So I think there's a very good chance you could be looking at Kent State getting to the Sweet 16 uh, for a potential matchup uh, with Houston. Although I will say about Houston, they're going to Birmingham for a potential matchup with Auburn. Not a very friendly draw uh, to potentially get Auburn in the second round. Uh, but the other mid-majors that really excite me this year are kind of a little bit uh, on the other side of the bracket uh, because I think you have a very classic upset potential in Oral Roberts versus Duke. I think that game is going to be really, really good, uh, and I think I'm going to pick Oral Roberts in that one. Are there any like one, two, or three seeds that you think could be on, on maybe a little upset alert in the first round? 
Yeah, I think Xavier is definitely on upset alert. Uh, they they got a three seed. I wasn't expecting them to be quite that high. Kennesaw State beat Liberty a couple times this year, and that might not sound like uh, the best win in the world, but it is a pretty impressive win. I like Kennesaw State uh, to really hang with Xavier. Um, and Xavier has a little bit of trouble on defense. Lots of teams can score on them. Kennesaw State can put up points. So I think Kennesaw might be the one for the 314 upset this year. And if there's a two seed that I think is in trouble, I, I don't know. How is UCLA going to respond to the adversity that they've had? Uh, UNC Asheville might not be the strongest opponent to play, but I'm not so sure that UCLA isn't potentially going to have a little bit of trouble uh, coming off of the Pac-12 title loss and knowing that they're without Jalen Clark. He is Graham Doran. You can uh, give him a follow on Twitter at Graham Doran, D-O-E-R-E-N. You can also find his bracketology work, although now you know what the bracket is. But for next season, Graham Doran bracketology.wordpress.com. Just save it in your bookmarks, and then all throughout next year, you'll uh, have it covered and, and ready to go. Well, Graham, uh, we appreciate you, you joining us here over the last few weeks. We'll, we'll have to do it more often throughout the season next year, but uh, really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing all your wise words over the past few weeks and including today. Really appreciate it, Dark and Nick. Thank you. Absolutely. That's Graham Doran. Again, at Graham Doran on Twitter, GrahamDoranBracketology.wordpress.com. Two hours down, one to go. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We narrowed down the field. Who can make a Final Four in our previous segment? Next, let's narrow down the field. Who can win a national championship? With Nick Springer, Derek Johnson, this is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We uh, will get a little more into the KU women's team missing out on the NCAA tournament. They'll be in the WNIT, the women's NIT. A little Rock Chalk Pickahawk recap, and then uh, we'll get into some audio from Norm Roberts and a couple of the players after they met with the media yesterday following KU's selection as the third one seed Behind Houston, surprisingly, which we talked plenty about in the open. You can also check that out if you missed it on the Best of RCST podcast tonight after the show. So in the uh, 4 o'clock segment we did, we narrowed down the field of teams that could make the Final Four just to help you with your picking. And just as a, a reminder of which teams that it narrowed down to, in the South it left Alabama, Arizona, and Creighton. In the Midwest it left Houston. Texas, Auburn, and Texas A&M. In the West, it left Kansas, UCLA, St. Mary's, TCU, and Arkansas. And in the East, it left Purdue, Marquette, Kansas State, Tennessee, and Duke. So now we're going to narrow it down. Who can win a national title? There are two ways about uh, of going about this. There's the so we're we're going to do the same parameter game where it's like you know this team did this or, or every team has been in this range yep we can either look at this as the parameters of every team to win a title since 2002 or we can look at it as pretty much every team and take out the one outlier team which you probably know which outlier team that is that would be seven seed UConn let's start with the version of this where um it includes that seven seed UConn team as the parameters okay because if you want to go off this that's totally fine as well okay and, and the same spiel here about the narrowing down the Final Four. This isn't a guarantee. 
this doesn't necessarily just give you one team. This isn't solving the unsolvable. I love that you give a disclaimer. Like you think yes. people are gonna like be mad when they well, pick I don't what want you somebody, tell them to pick, I, and then yeah. it doesn't work. Well, that's what I don't want to happen. I don't want somebody to like, so, like they DM picked you one like, of the teams Dude, and then they I reach out to me on team. Twitter like you're an idiot. <laughs> I hate you. This is not me giving you the answer. This is me helping you make a more educated educated guess. Choose at your own will. The point of um, I don't know the March Madness tournaments is you know have fun with it. That should that should be rule number one. So anyway, <laughs> last year when we did this formula, not the one I'm about to do, but when we did the formula based on taking out the outlier team, okay. we ended up with three possible teams: Kentucky, Gonzaga, and Kansas. So you had a one in three chance Kansas. of picking the right team, right? Yep. Now last year we also had the tag of no repeat champion. Um, thing in there which eliminated Baylor because I think otherwise Baylor would have been qualified and it would have made it one and four but I've decided to get rid of that one because well Kansas is the repeat champion yeah, and I'm going to alter it yeah. but two because of the fact the more I've thought about it I should not set parameters based on you're too good does that make sense like yes. the, the idea that because I've seen this one pop around too like the number one overall seed hasn't won it in 10 years well, that shouldn't be a parameter that eliminates. Yeah, that you. doesn't mean you're not going to win it. Right, that yeah. just is is a stretch to show you that it's really hard to win the tournament, and yes. there are more teams than just the number one overall team. It's yes. like the the stat that was in the NFL. No, no team had won had a player win MVP that then won the Super Bowl since like Kurt Warner in 1999 until Patrick Mahomes this past year. Right, <laughs> like sometimes numbers like that are just like yeah. you shouldn't eliminate a team just because they're too good. Right, that doesn't yes. make sense. So I, I've yeah. got rid of that one. So anyway. Here's the uh, first one, and then we'll get to the the more tightened up one. Every team has been a top seven seed who has won the title since 2002. Okay? Okay. Every team has been top 25 in Ken Palm entering the tournament. Okay. Every team has been top 57 in adjusted offensive efficiency. Every team has been top 44 in adjusted defensive efficiency. All 20... Of the past national champions since 2002, made conference tournament semifinals or better. All 20 were either coached by a first-year coach or, if they were not a first-year coach, had an Elite Eight under their belt. So they have at least made the Elite Eight. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. So if we use those parameters, you're left with seven teams to choose from. Houston, Kansas, UCLA, Texas, Purdue, Duke, and then here's that one again that pops up, Texas A&M. <laughs> so, there's your seven. Choose from one of those seven. Kansas. Interesting there's no Alabama in there. Interesting yep. there is no, what, Marquette in there. There's no Arizona no in there, right? Yep, no Arizona. There's no Baylor a lot, a lot of good teams are left out there. So choose one of those seven. Houston, Kansas, Purdue, UCLA, Texas, Duke, and Texas A&M. So that's the the non as the not as much narrowed down version, which maybe that's the better way of doing it because that does take into account more of the flexibility of the tournament, especially in a wide sure. open year like this year. Yeah. So if you want to use that one, that's totally fine. If you want to use the more narrowed down version, which came up with the formula for the three teams last year, I guess four since we're putting Baylor back in last year, here is that one. 19 of the top tw- or 19 of the last 20 national champions 
all but one, the outlier being 2014 UConn, which again, maybe you just don't want to bet on the outliers. So that's fine. Yeah. We're top three seeds. So now automatically you only have 12 teams that can win it, which that simplifies it's on its own. Alabama, Houston, <laughs> Kansas, Purdue, Marquette, UCLA, Texas, Arizona, Baylor, Xavier, Gonzaga, and Kansas State. All 20, as we mentioned, were top 25 in Ken Palm entering the tournament. This is actually one of those weird years where all of the top three seeds are top 25 in Ken Palm. Usually yeah. there's like one, maybe two, that's like 28th or something. And they, like, I think, well, Providence was a four last year, but like they would have applied. Like, I'm trying to think who would have been there last year. Um, but yeah, usually there's like a team or two who just like has the great resume, but they're not top 25. But that yeah. doesn't eliminate anyone. So we're still left with all, all of uh, each top three seeds. 19 of the 20 national champions since 2002 had top 21 adjusted offensive efficiencies entering the tournament. So that was a big outlier. 2014 UConn won it with the 57th best offense entering the tournament. Wow. The next lowest is 21st. <laughs> and that eliminates so you an gotta interesting have a, group. You got to have a good offense. Yes. Eliminates a very interesting group. Kansas. Kansas is just outside they of the 20, top 20. They're 29th. Yes, they are 29th. UCLA is 25th. And um, also Kansas State, weirdly enough, is 52nd. I always, for whatever reason, I think of Kansas State as an offensive team and not a defensive team. But their defense is 19th. Their offense is 52nd, which is interesting. So it eliminates Kansas, UCLA, and Kansas State. Now, if you want to say with, with like in the case of, of Kansas State, they're 52nd. If you want to say in the case of with Kansas and UCLA, they're so close to that. Like, uh, for instance, Kansas eight, is eight spots off. That's a lot of spots. It is, but like out of curiosity. So Kansas is averaging 114.6 points per 100 possessions adjusted. Okay. And if I look at who is 21st, that would be Ohio State. They're at 115.9. So, so it's one point th- like it's it's not that big a of a gap. So if you want to convince yourself that this could be the year that that parameter could just slightly increase, that it could slightly inch forward, yeah. then you can make your case for UCLA and okay. Kansas. But Kansas for the case of this, I'm not going to. Kansas back just in. Just keep that in the back of your mind, though. 19 of the top or 19 of the last 20 national champions since 2002 had top 37 defenses in adjusted defensive efficiency. The outlier here was actually not that UConn team. This is like the one outlier where it was somebody else, but it is also a very much an outlier when you think about it. It is the 2021 Baylor Bears, which if you remember, that was the COVID year. Baylor had a span where they missed a couple weeks of basketball due to COVID, and at that point in time, they were actually like one of the top 30 defenses, I want to say. And then they came back from COVID and they had uh, like a couple close wins that were closer than they should have been. They lost by 13 to Kansas. They didn't play well in the Big 12 tournament. And then all of a sudden they hit their stride again after getting back from COVID. That team ended up the 22nd best defense in the country. Wow. So that is very much an outlier. But every other defense was top 37. So if we entering, go that. Top 37 entering Entering, entering yes. So that would eliminate Marquette, Arizona, Baylor, Xavier, and Gonzaga. There's a big chunk of teams out. Yeah. Well, defense travels, as we, it like, does. we always hear. Now, again, if you want to make the same case about the offense thing that, oh, this team is close and whatever, then you and it might just inch forward a little bit. Some of these guys aren't that close. Yeah, though. Gonzaga's not. Gonzaga is 76th. Um, Xavier's not close either. They're 70th. But um, Marquette's 47. 
Yeah, Marquette is Kinda sort close. of close enough. Arizona is definitely close. Arizona's 41st. So, like, that would be the one where I'd be like, oh, also Baylor's, like, not close to this. Baylor's the worst of the bunch. They're 104th. Uh, so the one that I think, like, if you were going to say, well, I'm fine making an exception to the rule here for Kansas and UCLA, they're close enough. It's like if a kid's late to class and you're a teacher and you're like, well, they're 30 seconds late. I'll let them go this time, right? Um, so Kansas and UCLA would be the two you might make an excuse for on offense. If you want to make an excuse for someone on defense, Arizona would probably be the one. Okay, all 20 made their conference tournament semis or better. At this point, it eliminates none of the remaining four, which to this point, the four that you would have left are Alabama, Houston, Purdue, and Texas. Again, if you did want to leave Kansas, UCLA, and Arizona, and well, all those teams made it, at least all those semis. teams would make it as well. So yeah. you'd still have all seven. 19 out of 20 of the last national champions since 2002 had coaches who made at least an Elite Eight. The one outlier was 2014 UConn, who had a first-year head coach in Chris Ollie and got fired like three years later. So that was, I mean, that was the ultimate outlier, right? Yeah. Which means you need a coach who's at least made the Elite Eight. So if we left Arizona in, now they're gone anyway. Yeah. Because Tommy Lloyd is in year two. He made the Sweet 16 last year and lost. But UCLA and Kansas would both be around if you were keeping them in there as your exceptions to the rule. But as far as the... As far as the teams go that were left originally, Alabama, Houston, Purdue, and Texas, Nate Oates has never made an Elite Eight. He made a Sweet 16. They lost to UCLA a couple years ago in the COVID tournament. Houston, Kelvin Sampson has made the Elite Eight multiple times. Purdue um, has made an Elite Eight. That was the year they lost to Virginia on that craziness with uh, Carson Edwards going off and then um, Diakite hit like the game-time shot and they won in overtime. But Texas, Texas has an interim head coach who has yep. not made the Elite Eight. Yep. So bye-bye Alabama, bye-bye Texas. But if you're still including Kansas and UCLA, which is up to you, you'd have Houston, Purdue, Kansas, and UCLA as your four that are left. So hmm. if, you're, if you're basically going with the, the completely untightened version that we talked about at the beginning, Houston, UCLA, Texas, Purdue, Kansas, Duke, A&M. If you're going with the medium version, you have Houston, Purdue, Kansas, UCLA. But if you're going with the supreme version, I guess, which is the <laughs> ultimate like narrowing down and we're not making any exceptions to the rule here, we're being as strict as possible, you only have two teams, Houston and Purdue. Is and Purdue, I know is Purdue really going to win I the know I'm not picking Purdue. Yeah, I mean, really, really? Is exactly. Purdue going to win the national championship? No. So does that mean we're left with Houston? The team that has caused all these problems, the team that we have if been Houston bothered wins, about being seated ahead of Kansas. If Houston wins the national championship, how would you feel? Would you be mad? Would you feel I, somewhat I, vindicated of like, okay, I guess they were better than Kansas? No, know. I'll how be honest. Like, I, I think I said this in the but I, I think Houston is I, I think Houston's a better team than Kansas. Okay. I think Kansas has the much better resume, and I think that the seeding should be done on resume. So, so you, I, But you would be fine if Houston wins. Yeah, it wouldn't bother me. I mean, heck, it'd it keep the Big 12 streak alive because they're going to be joining the Big 12 next year. That's so true. we get to retroactively yeah. claim that the Big 12 would have won three in straight in national titles and yeah. maybe a fourth, if not for uh, the, the COVID for, year that, that kept Kansas from possibly winning or yeah. even that, that Baylor well, then, team from possibly winning. Virginia, they beat uh, Texas yeah, Tech in, in overtime. You yeah. know, if, yeah. if we just count that as a tie, then we have <laughs> five shared claimed titles. You know, it's perfect. Boom, yes. So no, it wouldn't bother me, but I guess that's what I'm saying. That's going to be my pick is Houston out of all this. But again, if you want to go with some of the exceptions of the rule, I'm going to go with the medium. You're going to go with the criteria, medium. and I'm going to pick Kansas. Okay, 
That is totally fair. You'd also have them on the, the softer criteria as well. Oh, true. Okay, yeah. yeah. The most surprising team here has to be Texas A&M, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean. As far from, as being there in like the tier one of the. Yeah, I mean, we heard from Graham Dorn. Like, it kind of seems like they were underseeded for whatever reason. And I guess they'll have a chance to go out and maybe prove that, right? I mean, yeah. we'll see. Well, and the only other one that's not a one or a two seed here it, that was in the first one we did is Duke. That's a team I'm very interested by because they're a team that is has kind of snuck under the radar because they they didn't they weren't playing well early in the season, but we knew they had a bunch of talent. And it seems like that talent is kind of coming together here for Duke. Um the the center, Derek Lively, has started to look like healthy again. Like they have the legit size and they're just playing like really good basketball of late. They obviously won the ACC tournament, and I know like the ACC wasn't like that great of a conference this year and everything, um, but they've just been kind of figuring stuff out. Did you know, by the way, since February 6th, Drake, this is just completely out of left field, Drake is the number nine team in Bart Torvik. Drake, Drake's pretty good. Drake, Listen, dude. I watched some of Arch Memphis Madness. number eight. I watched some of Arch Madness. They have the Missouri Valley Player of the Year on their team. Uh Something different. DeVries. DeVries. It's, it's DeVries. the coach's son. Yeah, yeah. DeVries. I don't remember son. his first name though. Is it? Is it Tommy? Tommy DeVries. Remember. Yeah. I don't think that's right. But he's the he's the Missouri Valley Player of the Year, and I mean, yeah, that's that's. I think, and Miami, I don't think is very good. So Drake, yeah. that's a team to watch. But anyway, with Duke, they've been a top ten team as of like five weeks ago, and they've been top twenty on both offense and defense in that span. Like they've really figured it out. I do think that's another interesting one that kind of popped up there that. I wouldn't be surprised if Duke made a run to, to like a Final Four or something like that. So uh, I hope that helps out with picking your bracket. Like I said, it's not a direct result. Like I can't tell you just one team, and that's going to be the for sure thing because weird things happen. I'm going to take everything you just said as gospel, and if it's wrong, I'm going to be very upset. Great. Please do not do that. Or, you know, if you want to be upset, that's fine, but please don't direct it to me. Direct it to Nick. <laughs> what? Direct it to Nick. Why? I don't know. I don't want to deal with it. Okay. All right. Uh, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Shark Sports Talk. We'll talk a little more KU basketball and a little KU women's basketball on the other side. This is RCST. Thanks for listening to the Best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN in Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at klwn.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.